welcome to this episode of Battling with Business with me, Chris Kitchener. And me, Gareth Tennant. In this podcast, we explore ideas and concepts around teams and teamwork, leaders and leadership, and all things in between. It's a discussion between a former Royal Marines officer and a product manager from the world of business, comparing and contrasting our experiences as we attempt to work out what makes teams, leaders, and businesses tick. So, Gareth, what did we want to talk a bit about today? You discussed the idea of talking about resilience. And I initially leapt on that idea because I love talking about organisational resilience. And you said, no, no, no. You wanted to talk about individual resilience to stress. So I think we'll end up talking about both. Well, I think I think these things intertwine with one another. And it's useful to sort of share why this is interesting to me, at least the, the personal side of things, because I think... You know, I, I've, I've been doing this job now for a number of years. And often when you meet friends and colleagues you haven't seen for a while, you say, how are things going? And you can then see very quickly, are they looking relaxed, uh, full of the joys of spring or summer, or are they looking a little bit stressed? And, and I've certainly had that in my time. I've, I've worked in a number of organizations where either things weren't going right or where organizations where we were going through some significant and complex change. And it really struck me that this this idea of resilience, if if we sort of take the the cliche of being English, um, you know, we're we're the the country, we're the culture that uses the phrase stiff upper lip. And I think that's a very English way of, of touching resilience and running away as fast as you can by saying stiff upper lip so i'm i'm really interested by that idea of resilience yeah what happens when things go wrong what happens when things are there's major transformation and specifically the piece about it the resilience of individuals whether it be the leader in charge and i think that's really really important but also than the people inside. Now, when, when we talked about this and you sort of talked about the resilience of teams, um, I think those are two good things to sort of dive into because I think they feed off each other significantly. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm interested about, to follow up on your point about when you talk to friends and you see you know, the tired, dead eyes if they say everything's fine and it's really not, or... Or they say something cliche like, I'm getting along, you know, I'm managing, I'm coping. Or, um, and, and I don't think it's always organisations that are going through change. I think actually I have friends certainly that normal, normal jogging in that organisation leaves them clinging on with their fingernails. And what I found quite revealing, I suppose, is I've had some fairly minor mental health issues over the last few years which i'm sure we'll get into clearly the the thing you need to do with mental health issues is to open up and discuss it um and i i have been and and i i have no no issues talking about it but what i found really interesting is when i've opened up about it the amount of friends who have perfectly normal you know not high stress I'm not talking about friends in the military doing combat operations. I'm talking about people who have a nine to five or supposedly nine to five office job or managerial job or in the city or or wherever, talking about their mental health problems. And when I start that conversation, it's really surprising 
how big a problem this is, but I think also positive that we're starting to recognize it, we're starting to talk about it. The idea of the stiff upper lip is, is almost now a I think it's not a common I think it's diminishing. Place. And, and yeah. it, it's funny, as we were talking about this, what occurs to me, I think uh, a number of episodes back, we talked about diversity and we talked about the moral imperative for diversity and yeah. the business imperative. I actually think resilience and sort of mental health and all those sorts of things, there's a similar sort of split there, which says there is the, the piece of resilience. And definitely I would, that's what that's sort of actually what triggered this, that whole how do you manage when it's all feeling a bit much for you? Um, there's, there's that sort of personal and moral and we should look after people because that is the right thing. But there's also that business thing as well. Now, I, I, I think the view that revealing that you, everything isn't great is a sign of weakness. I do feel like at the moment that's diminishing and people are getting much better at that. But yeah. It is this idea of as leaders, we want people to make the best decisions. And from personal experience, there's, I, I talk about this sort of leadership G-lock. And so what I mean by this is, you know, jet fighter pilots, there is this, this um, situation when they're pulling high G. In other words, the blood is being squeezed yeah. in the wrong places and away from their brain. And when this situation happens, fast jet pilots are taught to recognize and understand it. There is sort of this gray vision that comes around and it's almost, this is showing my age, when you used to have an old TV and sort of analog TV, you pull the plug, the screen goes from being the full size down into two inches and then disappears down the hole. You, you are showing your age. I am. I've seen this in movies. You see that that's a terrible, terrible thing that my, my cult references. But this idea that as they're flying along, their vision starts to decrease and, yeah. and they can see a smaller and smaller and smaller space in front of them. Yeah. Now, talking about this from a sort of a resilience perspective, as a as a as a leader, I have experienced that that says over, by the way, over a much longer period, all of a sudden your ability to perceive all the things going around you, your ability to take all the information in, to process it and to make good decisions decreases and decreases and decreases and decreases. Yeah. And over the years, I've got a little bit better of spotting those signs that actually, oh, hang on a minute, this is a really good one for me. I'm typically very good. I think two, very good. Typically, I think two to three weeks ahead. I can tell you what big things are coming yeah. up, what activities are going on, you know, strategic goals. I'm very good. When I'm under stress, what I realize is my ability to look ahead yeah. starts to decrease. And then the moment it gets to all I can focus is on is tomorrow, that is a sign I'm in that kind of resilience G-lock where there yeah. is a risk things would go wrong. So that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it, not just to recognize it, to talk about the symptoms and why it's important, but obviously then talk about, you know, some things we can do to build more resilience as we go through. So that's the personal side. I actually want you now to dive in and talk a little bit about organizational resilience, because I think there's a big relationship. There. Yeah, I think there is. And I completely agree with you on the, the parallels with diversity as well, and that there is a moral imperative to look after our people which goes hand in hand with the moral imperative to give a wider group of people access you know, to, um, to the workforce and to the opportunity if possible. 
and like that there is also a imperative for the business for the organization and and this is where that crossover sort of links in where if you don't look after your people in very much the same vein as if you shut off a whole section of the market and don't offer the opportunity to people your business suffers the outcomes of your business suffer and we've talked in previous episodes about the changing operating environment and the need to be more adaptable more flexible and part of that is the ability to cope with change and and if you think about what resilience is as a a definition of the word if you, you can think about resilience from a individual perspective you can think about it from an organizational perspective or you can think about it from a materials perspective you know materials that are resilient are things that or or a level or a measure of resilience is the ability to take impact a shock a knock and repeatedly do that over time Um, so there's two aspects to resilience one is how how high stress is the impact of the thing that is creating that that change and what is your durability to repeatedly expose yourself to these things and and resilience and stress are clearly very very closely related again both in a material sense but also in a uh, in a psychological sense Um, and stress is good we've talked about heuristics we've talked about biases before our ability to respond to high stress environments high stress things that happen to us is that's a natural chemical reaction that allows us to focus so that tunnel vision you're talking about that fighter pilots feel um, as a result of g-force is the body focusing effort onto the thing that matters Um, and your ability to see out three weeks or see out 24 hours is your body coping? coping I think that's. I think that's and allowing you to say, focus yeah, yeah, yeah. on what what subconsciously it thinks is important, and that's based on you know evolution, and isn't necessarily what is actually important. And I think there's an important aspect of that. Yeah, it's 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 so interesting because resilience isn't something that certainly I've come across people talking a lot about in business. It, there's this weird thing which is we want to talk about success, we want yeah. to focus on success. And so often resilience and your ability to understand, build your knowledge and understanding of how to deal with it comes from having been in a bad situation multiple times. Yeah. But it's it's one of those things where it's really valuable to stand back and say, how do we think about it? Before we go um, sort of a bit more into the, the, the resilience of a leader or the resilience of a team, you know, I'm fascinated. You sort of said at the beginning, obviously not on the military side that's a different thing but actually let, let's talk about the military side so you you've been in many situations where you have been in very high stress i'm going to imagine there have been moments when things weren't going great yep. and you were at that it could go very badly how how does the military think and talk about that kind of resilience firstly i think there's, there's an almost misunderstanding of you must have been in situations of very high stress. Stress is a chemical response to external events. And actually, 
there's only so much chemical response in any human's you know body and so I quite often get asked that when people sort of go oh I you know I can't imagine how stressful it is being in a life and death situation because I get stressed having to meet a deadline which well probably the, similar the stress level is probably the same and if you've seen the film the Hurt Locker I don't know if you have but it's about the, the bomb disposal uh, expert and technician at the end of the film he's back in the US and really struggling to make mundane decisions and I think there's a, a scene in a sort of supermarket where he just doesn't care and cannot decide what breakfast cereal to buy and that's as a result of because you've shifted your whole Overton window of what you think stressful situations are everything at that bottom end decisions about mundane things are really really difficult and I experienced exactly that you know coming back off combat tours things just don't matter things that other people find really important and so by the way the well, first point is stress is yeah. a it, there's a level of there the fact that I've been repeatedly exposed to events that are traumatic um, and I, I certainly have and the, I think your question was, you know, how does the military yeah, sort of respond and, and to I, that? And I, I think it, it will be easy for us to sort of fall into the only the military can have traumatic events. I've, I've been in my business world for a while and there are plenty of equal, equally is the wrong word, but I have been in very traumatic events. So yeah. th th this isn't sort of a, a one-upmanship game, but, but, no, but what's different though is I think, and using the word trauma, because I think that's quite a good word and it's trauma brings stress and yeah. invites resilience. The one thing I have to believe that the military has thought about either formally or informally is, okay, how, if I'm going to ask someone to go on patrol every day for a week, yeah. I it is in my interest to arm them with the skill to do that. And if that means you go to bed at nine o'clock at night, we'll force you to. So, for example, air crew yeah. uh, are told go to bed and get good, good night's sleep. Or whether it is when we finish, we go and sit in a room and we have a beer yeah. or whatever we do. What, 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 how, how have you dealt with that or how's the military talked about There's that? two aspects to it. One is a time-honoured way of managing future stressful events which we've talked about in fact in the um pirate episode which is about going through rehearsals going through that expected anticipated um situation in advance so that you are pre-armed with a way of responding rather than just instinctively reacting and relying on your you know hormone levels to allow you to cope so the military do lots and lots of training where they expose you to situations where you are going to have to make decisions and i found this on my first combat tour of afghanistan i was really really scared of going to afghanistan on operations not because i was scared of the risk to my life but I was really scared of letting the team down I was really scared of being found wanting as a very very young I think I was 22 as a troop commander um, young officer in charge of marines having to make decisions that for the first time were going to be life and death when all up until that point 
apart from you know the environment i've talked about the the dangers of being out in norway and stuff but but suddenly i'm going to have to actually tell people to assault enemy positions tell people when to fire and not to fire deal with potential improvised explosive devices um and i was really really scared of letting people down and that was the anxiety i had before going once i got out there the moment we found ourselves out on the ground and things started happening whether that was finding improvised explosive devices coming under attack from the taliban or, or whatever it was none of those thoughts were in my mind and i didn't feel scared in that moment and that was because the training kicked in and i was concentrating on the process i needed to go through which is something i knew how to do i'd done it many times before and all i needed to do was pause understand the situation ask the right questions in my mind and then make some decisions not all of those were right it you know context and tactics is a, is a very dependent thing but at the moment that it happened i was physically stressed my heart was pumping at 180 beats a minute i could hear it in my ears um i got that tunnel vision um at least four or five times on my first first combat tour um there was physical stress but i actually from a decision making point of view felt very very ready for it the second element to all of that of course is what i talked about before about durability how do you keep going with that and also after the fact how do you protect your people and how do you protect yourself when you start to post-mortem post well, let, let's let's analyze. come back to the durability because i i wanted to touch on a couple of those things the, there's a real risk that people who haven't been in the military or haven't done that kind of work will say that's really interesting but it's not relevant to me but i think there is there is a lot more relevancy than anyone might think because yes. while and and just to get this out of the way that i'm not playing the my business life is just like someone running with a weapon at the taliban that's not what i'm talking about the outcomes are very different the, the risk is very different, but really, really interesting when you, you sort of talk about the fact that you, you, you fear something, but when you start, you fall into that rhythm. Yeah. This is something I, I talk a lot. We, can, we go from sort of the extreme and the film worthy to the mundane. Uh, I am very lucky. I've given many, many presentations to all sorts of people, executives and otherwise. And so actually presentations weirdly become a very comfortable place for yeah. me. But many of my team members who just haven't done thousands of presentations, it's, it's nerve-wracking to them. And they that you can see them physically becoming stressful, I would imagine, heartbeat goes, all those kind yeah. of things. But what's really interesting is almost every single one of them, and I was having this conversation a couple of weeks ago with one of my team members, the moment they start and they talk about something they have competence, knowledge and experience of, as it were, the fear disappears. Yeah. And so part of this resilience is how do you prepare for this? I think that, that that's some of it. But yeah. um, I, I do think that there's another piece as well, which I think is really interesting. And this is maybe focusing more on the role of a leader. And that is, um, for me, a, I've mentioned this very briefly in a previous podcast, 
when something is going wrong and we, you know, in every business I've been in, there's been that moment when something very bad has happened. The customer is offline or there's a risk of data breach, whatever yeah. it might be. The, the first thing that as a leader I need to do is to slow down and actually calm people down to give them space to think and be proactive. Yeah. So yeah. if I panic, they will panic. If I don't panic and I look confident, sometimes when I'm not confident and yeah. I am panicking internally, and that's, Rick, that can be really valuable as Rick well. Rick Field mentioned this when we talked to him about the lessons he'd learned from, I think it was an, an SAS soldier who had given a, a talk on uh, management tools uh, and had talked about the idea of flow is smooth and smooth is fast and the yeah. idea of slowing things down so you don't allow the anxiety, the distress, the, the situation to overwhelm you. You don't, I think Rich was talking about taking photos of cars quickly, but you yeah. don't fumble and get it wrong. That comes from the close combat world where you're having to do physical things, change magazines on weapons, bring up your weapon to point it at a target. In the close combat world, you're doing that milliseconds. And if you get it wrong, people, you know, there is a very high risk of people getting getting killed or seriously hurt, the wrong people. Um, I think that's really important, but I want to go back to your question about how the military prepares, because we've only talked about half the story. And what we've talked about there is how you prepare people for that stressful event in advance. Up until probably only 10 or 15 years ago, that was the military's process for managing mental health issues and stress was we'll put people in stressful positions we'll simulate warfare and combat and so when they actually face it they'll be comfortable with it that second element of resilience is not how hard you're being hit it's how many times you're being hit well and, and how many times before you, you, before you, break. you suffer yes. from being hit and so i talked earlier about the fact that i've had some like, relatively minor mental health issues but my mental health issues somewhat stem from the trauma that I experienced on various operations, Afghanistan included. Um, and it's not the things that I thought it would be, and it's probably not the things the listeners would expect that are the things that created those mental scars. So for me, I thought it would be being close to death. I thought it would be... You know, those near misses where you hear the crack of the bullet as it breaks the sound barrier over your head, the bits when you get back to the operating base, having just gone through a firefight and find, you know, bits of shrapnel through your rucksack or, or whatever. Those things create stories. They create memorable, they're certainly memorable moments, but actually, for me, it's the... Um, things like survivor's guilt, not being hurt when other people were. And as a commander, and I think this would apply whether you're a junior NCO all the way up through to being you know, a battalion commander or, or even more senior, the, the what-if questions. Because as I said, I felt very, I wouldn't say comfortable, but I felt ready in that moment to make decisions and I thought about the situation I was in and I made decisions post-event, 
you then start to self-analyze and you start to ask, could I have done things quicker? Could I have done things better? Would this person still be alive if I hadn't made these decisions? And it's those things that I think once or twice might give you nightmares. Every time you think about it might be quite upsetting, but repeatedly over multiple combat tours, over multiple operations, um, start to wear you down and take, take, take their toll. So the but I didn't notice. Well, but I think this is a really interesting thing about resilience, which is um, you can do the same thing five times and be successful and not be affected, whether it's in business or the military. And it's the sixth time, which is exactly the same as the fourth and the third, and all of a sudden something switches. Yes. And I think that the maybe a different way of saying this, and I know this isn't the right word, but there is a point at which you become tired. There is a point at which you, you, your resilience to cope with these yes, things, yeah. and it, it, it's 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 very quiet. You know, it's that it's that thing where we've all done the same thing, and Bob is quite quiet in the corner. And you say, Bob, what, what's going on, Bob? We, yeah. We've dealt with this before. We've been successful with this before, and Bob's just got that look of like, I need to have a break. I need to do something different. I think that's yeah, I, and I think. You know, being tired, talking about it being tired is an analogy, but it's a very, very good analogy because, you know, 10 years after, you know, these things started to happen, I clearly wasn't still physically tired, but there is an emotional fatigue. There's an emotional tiredness of there's only so many times that I can go through that thought process and before it starts to... Um, really wear you down and so, affect your ability to to operate in the here and now so i i mean i think we, we, you know this is this is one of those topics where we're definitely going to bounce around there's no like we've got three facts we want to communicate how do you recharge whether whether it's whether it was in you know afghanistan yeah. or whether it's in your data because I, I i'm i'm i'd like to talk about how i recharge not because I think it's perfect, but I think it's sort of it's a good intake. But yeah. how do you recharge? What did what does Gareth do after a difficult week where he's feeling mentally fatigued or stressed or that resilience? What do you do to, as it were, reset and start again? So firstly, whenever I now recognize that I am at risk of having been exposed to trauma. And, and of course, my life now is very, very different. I don't go on combat tours. But as we've already said, this doesn't have, this doesn't. No, it's, just not, it's not just a military to, thing. To and, I think, and, and, and to be clear, I've seen people in business, yeah. in the product world, really, really suffer. Absolutely. Really. And, and it have could to be, say, I need to leave my job. I can't do yes. this anymore. And, so and the amount is, of friends and colleagues that I know that have you know, got to a point where they've literally had a panic attack. In the middle of a tube station or having just gone into or just coming out of a, a meeting or you, these things are real in the workplace just as much well they're, they're, they're real the, and actually this is important for everyone to hear which is it is almost unusual if you don't feel yes this. so yeah. we are not talking about you know gareth and chris who are going to talk about stress and resilience we're unusual that, that we've found two people Actually, I would argue if you pick random 10 people at some point in the last year, they were under enormous yeah. stress yeah, absolutely. and mental risk in that sense. Sorry, you're yeah. talking about what you do to... So, to so the first thing I do is once I recognise that I may have been at risk um, and the, the, the nearest thing I had is uh, I had a near miss 
car accident on my motorcycle last week. Um, it was my fault, actually. And I uh, was concentrating on not hitting a cyclist and a runner in the local country lanes that are quite narrow. And I failed to anticipate the car and I pulled out in front of the car and they stopped. They were very aware. I felt very sheepish. Um, but I had that adrenaline pumping through my body like that was close. As soon as I got home, I replayed that in my mind. I thought about it. I went through it frame by frame, if you like, having calmed down now. And I had a cup of tea and I sat and thought about what I would do differently next time. What went wrong? Why did I make that mistake? Um, and then I carried on with the rest of my day. Um, but what that allows you to do is anchor that moment very, very shortly afterward to a whole load of relatively positive feelings of, I am now in control of what happened. I've thought about it. I've, yeah. I've post-mortemed it, if you like. What do I do when I'm starting to feel stressed? Um, I do things that I enjoy. That's a really obvious answer. But I do things that challenge my, challenge my mind and challenge my body. So it's the cliche thing of sport. You know, sport is a really good way of de-stressing because it gives you something to concentrate on. A lot of sports have tactics, potentially strategy. A lot of sports have teamwork. And it's physically arduous and hard. So uh, I will, you know, go and do some, go and do some sport, or go and do some, go for a run. But I think the most important thing is I, can, I now, having recognised my problems and, and to be very transparent and frank about it, I got to a point where I was still serving in the military and I was drinking an awful lot of whiskey on a weekday evening on a school night and going into work the next day and trying to function. And every evening, rather than going to bed where I knew I was probably gonna have nightmares and flashbacks, um, I would sit and drink. And it started socially, mm. and then I became the only person drinking when everybody else had gone to bed. And then eventually I found myself you know, alone in the house pouring myself a drink because I didn't want to face going to bed. And that's when I suddenly realized that I had a problem. From that moment, I I just talk openly about it. I, I think I mean I you know we I'll I'll talk about some of my what I do and and not because any of these are right or wrong, but I think the talking about it and being open about it that you know a problem shared is a problem halved. Yeah, I know it's a cliche, but I think that's really true. So I I was thinking I do have actually periods of great stress. I actually. Uh, was working in a business last year where I stayed for actually a relatively brief, brief period of time because it was so stressful. That was a key reason for me leaving that business. Yeah. But actually, I want to go back to the to, to my my brief time in the Navy. And the reason why I'll, I'll tell this story is because I think actually what can be valuable is for you to be self-aware or one to be self-aware of those symptoms starting. So yes. here is my extreme symptoms. And I can tell you how I behave when I'm under significant stress. The first thing, when I was uh, learning to be a navigator and I was flying and I knew it wasn't going well, I knew I was behind the curve, I wasn't keeping up. And it was stressful to the point where I woke up every morning and the first thing I'd do is go to the toilet block and throw up. Yeah. 
And anyone listening to this will say, well, that is insane. That is clearly you are under a signal, like that is not normal. I, I sort of had this G-lock where that was not what I was thinking. Yeah. And you get to the point where you think that's normal. So that I'm very lucky. I've, I've never, I think I've only ever been in that level of stress one other time in my work life. But that was really interesting where it was an extreme hidden yeah nobody else knew yeah. about it it was something that i did and that was my body reacting and dealing with it but but more generally i mean if i if i bring it to the less extreme i guess maybe the point about that is i suspect most people listening to this will say quietly when no one's around yeah i i've been in those places and i recognize those and the reflection can be really really valuable but but practically there's some really simple things that i do and i don't know that these are necessarily right or wrong but good to talk about the first one really is sleep yeah so i i think i'm very lucky i find it easy to sleep in fact i like sleeping <laughs> a lot but actually what i found is that the the more tired and the more physically tired I am, yeah which yeah. is often another uh, another symptom of stress um sleeping that's really yeah. really important you know right now it, we're in the middle of summer it's light all the time it's hot it's harder but but getting a good night's sleep yeah that's really important and, and often when i go to sleep and i think here is an intractable problem or a significant problem weirdly in the morning it feels like less of a problem there's more clarity and i now know what the next steps are so yeah. sleep sleep is a big thing I am not the physical person. For anyone who's met me, you'll be laughing at the moment about the idea that I'd go off and do sport. Uh, but actually, I have a PS4 and I, I put those earphones on and I go onto a first-person shooter and I spend an hour shooting something else. Partly because it allows me to, as it were, shut down and say, I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. I could go do something else. Yeah. But this, the, 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 I mean, just I think that everyone has their different things. It's walking down by the river, taking a dog for a walk, which like doing the one thing i i'm i'm more aware of as i go through my career is when you're in those moments of sort of g-lock as it were where everything's coming closer and you need to really work hard at managing that stress and managing that resilience the one thing i've watched that i have to be very very careful of is shutting other people out so my family are very yeah. good and they're very nice and they're very helpful because they want to support me. But I can see that look in their eyes, which is you don't want to come and spend any time with us. Yeah. And so it's very, I mean, it's almost the, the drinking the whiskey is mm. I want to do this on my own. This is my problem to wrestle with. Not only are actually communicating with the family, a really good group of people to give you that support. Beware, actually, there's a risk you make the problem worse. Because at the end of the week, you say, actually, I'm feeling much better than I did on Monday. And the family says, well, we're not because you haven't spoken to us. Yeah, that's very true. Like, I find my family, well, my, my daughter's probably a little bit young to understand this, but my wife certainly and my friends are, are very good at being there, but not being in my face. So if I, if I need them, I know they're there, but Rachel will say do you need some time on your own and she'll quite happily I, you know i do like you i i play computer games sometimes of an evening to to just think about it's, something it's else to zone and, out yeah and and she'll take herself off and read a book or watch television in another room or, or whatever but she always checks that i'm okay if if she goes to bed before i do the next morning the first thing she'll do is say you know, you you were a bit 
stressed last night or you told me you weren't feeling great are you okay and and so it's just knowing they're there without being in your face but I think I'd like to bring this element of talking about mental injury to a sort of close because it's worth recognizing that we're talking about mental health resilience is about having good mental health and and like physical injury and physical health the two things are very very closely related and if you have good physical health you're far less likely to pick up injuries you're also going to heal quicker um and of course the the big difference is it's far harder to see a, a mental injury or the level of somebody's mental health but we are talking about health so a lot of the things we've talked about talking post-morteming the the incident at the point the closest point you can these have now been formally um taken up by the military in a program that we call trauma risk management or trim um and people are trained to be trim managers and they're not psychologists there's no medical training this is just an ability to immediately after a potential impact a, a potential traumatic incident to hold a workshop where they talk about it um or if you recognize in somebody the behaviors that might indicate their mental health is not as good as it should be or they're carrying or potentially carrying a, a mental health injury we're going to talk on a podcast in a few weeks i think about the role of padres mm. yeah yeah this absolutely you know, fit with the role of padres they're not just there to espouse religious dogma they're there to be part of that pastoral care to look after the health the mental health the spiritual health of the, the individuals that make up the team um, and i think that's a really important point because i don't know of an organization outside of the military that formally has, and I'm sure there are some organisations that do this, but I don't know of any, and I've never come across any, that formally have somebody in that role. And yet, as we've talked about already for the last half an hour, people do get themselves to the point where their mental health gets to the point where they start to injure themselves. And I, I, I would advocate for people, whether it's their primary role or whether it's a secondary role, or whether it's just you build a culture of people look out for each other, actually starting to implement formally processes to, to be able to you know, watch for the signs and to support the people that are struggling. I think, I think that's a key role of any manager and any, any leader to do that within their teams. Well, look, let, let's take a quick break. Um, actually, I think I'm really pleased we talked about sort of the mental resiliency side of things. And I think that when, when I talked about resiliency, that was a key part of it. Let's come back after the break. There's a, there's a couple more points I want to sort of raise on that. But then maybe we can dig in a bit more on a slightly different version of that, which is resilience to organisation. So yeah. uh, we'll be back in a second. the first half of the podcast talking about resiliency within leadership you know why this matters 
um, some examples of how we've personally seen how that can impact us and just some thoughts on how we tackle some of that and why that's important. But, you know, in, in terms of a leader, resilience, I think there's lots in there. So we, the first thing is um, that I mentioned before, which I think it's really important as a leader to be seen and perceived to be resilient. And that's not me going back on what we've said before. It is a key role of a leader is when things start to go wrong, people will look at you and that sets yeah. the, the tone of, of how they think about it. The other thing which I think is, you know, I think we'll talk more about how you become more resilient. The, I don't know what this is bad news is, but experience is one of the most valuable things. When yeah. you've done it multiple times, automatically your heuristics say, I know the likely outcomes. I also know that I've dealt with them. And so it's much easier. So that doesn't help people who are sort of early on this track, but it maybe goes to this point about, you know, practicing. Um, yeah. I think pra practice is, is not quite as good as the real thing with experience, but practice, I think, gets, gets you there as well. But this comes back to our previous point about wargaming scenario development yeah, absolutely you, you don't have to be in the high stress you know mergers and acquisition that's happening right now and the lawyers are on you and the boss is on you and you can simulate that or emulate it through wargaming and the brilliant thing about a wargame is nobody dies yeah and, and in, in the business world nobody gets fired yeah nobody, nobody goes loses, bankrupt nobody loses money the customer you know, data is still you don't there get food, but you do start to build that experience that otherwise you're relying on literally you know, going through it when it happens and that can take years well and and what i think the practice does because this is the again one one of the things this is going way back and you'll laugh at the the fleet air arm thing of this which is we were part of the course i did when i was learning to be a navigator was a what what they call conduct after capture yep and it's the sense that we if well. if we, yeah you probably have a slightly different version of what we did but what what it what it was was that it was helping you practice for the scenario that you were being captured and it was all about helping you understand what would happen and how to deal with it and one of the things that the instructors talked about the military is very actually very very good at understanding this was there is when you capture somebody the interrogators will put you under enormous stress to discombobulate you to yeah. in other words the point is at the moment of stress the more stress there is the harder it is for you to deal with anything yeah and so by by practicing this and overcoming that initial i've this bad thing has happened if you can get past it it's really important so the reason for that is you you know you're doing well when you can go beyond the something's gone terribly wrong oh my god how do i recover and something has gone terribly wrong what what am i how do i reframe that how do I find new opportunities? Yeah. How can I think of novel ways? So really the, the first bit of surprise and stress and everyone running around like a headless chicken, the goal is to get through that as soon as possible so that you can get to the really good stuff. And I, this is a, you know, I'm, I guess I've just the last 30 seconds been talking about incidents almost, but actually I've been in businesses where, um, actually I've been in a number of businesses where when I've joined, 
actually there's been a history of bad things happening. And what's very common when I found that is when something bad happens, people fall into this uh, common, well, this always happens to us. This, yeah. is, this, is, this is a typical example. And so people get focused on the negativity yeah. and get caught in this trap of not moving forward. When, you know, if you're calm, if you have, if you have a, a vision, if you have something people can follow, if you've got a calm voice, actually the most valuable thing you say great person x i want you to go do this person y. all of a sudden when people are busy and focused on the solution all of a sudden it's people immediately forget well this has happened before that's not interesting actually right now and so it's it's pushing people forward onto that that track of how do we solve it how do we get creative yeah, yeah. how do we get productive and what we saw that in in covid didn't we where you know, one of the first things that happened as people started to deal with the economic changes in the environment was they they stopped investing in training and investing in people. They got rid of lots of people, um, sometimes for you know very obvious and, and good fiscal sort of health of the organisation reasons, but very very short termist in view, and then were almost take, taken off guard when things opened back up and their people aren't experienced enough to deal with things, they don't have enough people. And, and I think that is a really good example of organisationally where that tunnel vision, that G-lock, the organisation has said, this stressful thing is happening, we need to hunker down and, and sort of wait for the storm to clear. And actually, in most situations where things are stressful, the last thing you want to do is ignore the cause of that stress. You want to be proactive in working out what's caused it and what the solution is, whether that's a, an immediate solution or whether that's a strategic planning for the longer term, rather than we're going to batten down the hatches and, and wait. There was, a, there is, so we, we've mentioned to you before that we record these a little bit in advance so that we're always busy and we never know quite what we'll be able to record. Today, there was uh, an interview, it's a Sunday morning, and there was an interview with Rishi Sunak. And I was really struck by something he said on one of the Sunday uh, programmes where he was asked about how people should feel about their mortgages going up significantly. And his statement was, People should just hang in there. And what struck me about that was exactly what you've just said. It was a very negative, inward looking. Yeah. If we ignore it, but we ignore it for long enough, it will get better. Yeah. And, and I mean, this is a sort of a personal view, which is him saying, hang in there does not help me pay my mortgage every month. No. And actually demonstrates, I'm not sure you understand the pain of this. Yeah. And this As opposed to, if he'd have said something like, we are doing these three things to, yeah. to, to bring down inflation or to help people who can't pay their mortgages, that I think that really touches on your idea of hoping the problem will go away yes. or, or yeah. saying if we, it, it will go away if we ignore it for long enough is not a solution. And is not, I thought that was a really good example of very poor leadership. Yeah. As opposed to a leader who says, I hear, I empathize, I understand, and here is a plan that we can all engage and participate with to move forward. Yeah, and I, I think, again, that's where there's firstly a, a lack of empathy and a disconnect between 
people's personal stress and the feelings they will be having as a result of this cost of living crisis. But secondly, from an organisational perspective, and I'm talking here about you know the nation and its economic health, a, a complete mismanagement of articulating the resilience that is required and needed. What you're basically saying by saying you've just got to hold your nerve, and I think that's what was said, yeah. Yeah, is basically we've got to be resilient. Well, that doesn't help you become more resilient. What you need is the leader to set out the vision of why the course we're on, the choices we're making are over the long term going to get us out of this situation. And of course, when bad things happen, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to come out of it absolutely fine. What it means is they're thinking about what's best for the organisation. They're thinking about the the people within that organisation and they're trying to align those things to get us out of this stressful situation in the best way possible. The really important parts for me about organisational resilience is recognising that Resilience isn't just stress management. Resilience is about being adaptive to changing environments on an enduring basis. It's that duration. How many knocks can we take before the system collapses? How do we, every time we take a knock, rebuild a little bit so that we are enduring through this system change? There's, for me, three really important aspects to this. One is when the organization is facing a change so are the individuals in that organization we've talked before about team task and individual and so if the organization is feeling stressed and feeling like it's in an uncomfortable Mm. new ground well you can bet your bottom dollar that people in that organization are feeling also stressed and for them this is an emotional problem so as a good manager a good leader you have to recognize that, anticipate it and do something about it. But also you want to try and create the narrative that we are facing this as a team. And I think this is where, for me, the military does things really, really well, is we build resilient teams. We build teams that actually thrive on uncertainty. And I experience this, you know, I'm, I'm gonna go back to my first combat tour of Afghanistan, where each of the companies, I was part of a unit called 4-5 Commando, And each of the companies, we would hear sort of snippets of information, rumours or um, little bits of information about what the other companies were up to, where they were, because they were in different parts of Helmand province. And there was this competition of how much harder our life is compared to them. It's a bit like the, the, you know, the two Ronnies get. Uh, and And it was like, oh, you're living off, 10-man ration packs, luxury. You know, we're only living off 24-hour rations. Well, you're living off 24-hour rations, luxury. We haven't had a resupply for three weeks. We're having to make do with, you know, just drinking. I was about to say, did you get to drinking their own urine? No, uh, not quite, not quite. But but there was this kind of, people were being competitive about how arduous the conditions yes. were. And it's because we, we, we created teams that absolutely embraced the discomfort of combat well i think it's embrace it and turn it into a positive thing yeah very, yeah. very military humor which is you know how bad our life is compared to yours but actually that's a perfect example of 
it might seem to an outsider like that's focusing on the negatives, but I know for sure yeah. everyone would have been laughing as they talked. But about what it what it created was for each troop or each company in these locations was a sense of we're facing a spree de corps. A spree yeah. de corps. I think so you've got to face these problems as a team because that's how you firstly everybody keeps the spirits up, and secondly, that's how you notice the people that aren't coping quite as well. Yeah. Um, I think the second thing is, and we've talked about it and alluded to it quite a bit, is to be strategic. And I, people are probably getting bored of me saying this, but strategy is not just having a plan. Strategy is anticipating the uncertainty of the environment. When nothing says uncertainty, like the need for resilience. So be strategic. We come back to think about what your long-term plan is. If something has knocked you off, your plan and i'm going to go back to i don't know if you remember right in the early first or second episode where i talked about the compass bearing is a good yeah. analogy for strategy yeah, I think it's great if something has knocked you off your course your compass bearing has to change but that doesn't mean the end goal has changed what it means is you've recognized that you are dealing with the immediate consequence of whatever's happened and now you're going to have to do a reset if you don't do that, and if the leaders and the managers of the organization don't articulate that and take you on that journey, then you can quite often feel like you're heading off in the wrong direction whilst fighting the fire. And, and that, that's okay sometimes. And actually, it's for the, for the leader to say, we are not on track to hit our strategic goals, but that is because we're dealing with this pandemic or this supply chain issue. Or, but we recognize that. And we're going to have to do a reset to get back on course once we've hit these goals. Well, this this isn't quite the same. But there's something which, as we talk about resilience, I've I'm I'm sure we're going to do one of our um, podcasts around uh, Elon Musk because I think he's really interesting. Yep. Put, put Elon to one side though. One of our influencers podcast. Yeah, one yeah. of our influencers. So hopefully you'll listen to the first one around Steve Jobs and found that interesting. But what's really interesting to me around SpaceX was the fact that they, it, depending on which lens you go through there, they should have miserably failed because these rockets kept blowing up. Yeah. You know, that, how on earth could you stay resilient? Everyone was, many people were laughing at them and saying, you know, you'll yeah. never make it work. This yeah. is ridiculous. You're celebrating that a rocket got off the ground, but it blew up just off the ground. How can you do this? Actually, what they did was really good was they, they defined what success was. And so weirdly, every time the rocket blew up on the pad, they cheered. A learning opportunity. This was a, yeah. exactly, this was a yeah. learning opportunity. And so I could imagine an organization that would have done exactly the same thing as SpaceX and felt terrible that they were failing time and time yeah. again. And a different organization, SpaceX, arguably, that said, well done us. We got it off the ground, guys. We've yeah. learned some more. Next time, we're going to try and get it 100 foot in the air. And so that setting... I think that yeah. the reason why I brought that one up was I think the North Star was we're going to Mars. Yeah. And yeah. along the way, Your a, BHAG. a bunch yeah. of rockets are going to blow up. And that's not that's not bad in yes. a sense. Yeah. That's actually every time it blows up, we've learned something new. So I think that that's a really good example of your strategic focus on the North Star. Yeah. And the the short term disruptions become opportunities 
for improvement as opposed to failure, failure, failure. Yeah, and I, I think that's a classic example of an organization that has built-in resilience. The, the final thing, I think, for me is to respond to crises, to respond to change, rather than to react to change. And by that, I think I've talked about this before, but by that, I mean, you the things that you know you're going to have to do, you have practiced to the nth degree. So those become muscle memory things. It's the reason we do fire drills. We've talked about this before. So if you know you are going to need to respond to a crisis or when a crisis hits, there are things you know how to do. You do those things based off corporate memory, based off individual muscle memory, because you've practiced them, you've talked about them, you've got contingency plans on the shelf that you can pull out. The things that you didn't anticipate, haven't anticipated, haven't war-gamed, the black swans, the things that are, are starting to, as you say, discombobulate your decision processes, that is where you have to take that step back and slow is smooth and smooth is fast. That's where panicking or shifting the blame or throwing the, the problem to somebody else so you don't have to deal with it actually exacerbates the stress levels within the organisation and probably is going to make solving that problem harder. Actually, if you stop and ask the question of what is happening, what do I need to know, what has changed, how does this affect us in terms of achieving our North Star or you know, our long-term strategic goals. Who does this affect? What are the immediate things I need to do to put out the fires? And what do we now need to start anticipating for the knock-on consequences, the knock-on effects of this initial change? So the first thing that should have happened when the COVID virus was broke out of China and hit Italy was organisations should have been having resilience meetings to say, what happens when this comes to the UK? Might not, but yeah. what happens if? What's the worst case scenario? How would we adapt to a reality well, where flights are cancelled? How do we adapt to a scenario where there's lockdowns? How do we adapt to a scenario where we have to furlough workers? You know, those kind of things, easy to say in hindsight, but are we now learning and thinking about what the next major global well, crisis the, the, is and running through this there's, there's two pre-mortems if you like two pieces of that that are really important the first one is these things are cheap to do yeah you can i mean you've talked about this you, there was a company you worked with where you did some of this as in yeah. it, it is not that you have to spend months and months and millions and millions it can be on a whiteboard in yeah. half an hour so this is not expensive to do or difficult to do but the second thing which is why I'll make this three things but the second thing is um remember when talking about it today we're relaxed it's a nice Sunday afternoon the sun is shining it's easy to talk about what to do when things go wrong yeah. but remember when things go wrong it's a very different world the decisions you because the g-log the yeah. decisions you make 
you're already by definition probably going to make worse decisions than you would have done in a calm. So yeah. the, this is why this stuff is so important. It is going to be harder. It yeah. is harder when the bullets are flying. It is harder when the P1 situation has hit yeah. and there's a possibility there's been data loss. And I think there's a really important point we made in the first half where we were talking about individual stress. And we were saying that stress you know, is pretty standard for people the, the situations that cause stress are different. As an organizational leader, it is your responsibility to recognize that. And so it might not be a situation that's gonna bankrupt the company. It might not be keeping you up at night, but it might be keeping some of your people up at night. And if yeah. you don't know or recognize that, then you can't implement those things that are gonna help them that are make will make them feel better and be more effective and so stress is not a, it, I, I suppose what i'm saying is you can't measure other people's stress by how you would cope in that situation yeah that's what i'll say and, and the last thing for me about this was the whole series of these podcasts is about how to potentially build a better team yeah be better leaders like and people must be sick of this now. It is like a recipe for a cake. You can't just turn up and say, I haven't spent any time on my team. I haven't spent any time building empowerment or empathy. You can't, that's the, when these things go wrong, that's the time when you understand, did I do all those other things? Yeah. All those other things, which is the time, maybe they felt a bit fluffy. Well, empowerment, I'm not in a business that needs empowerment. I can just tell them what to do. Yeah. Actually, all of those things you are doing, if for no other reason for that moment when it goes wrong, where you need a team that says, boss, I've had an idea, yeah. I can go away and do this for you. Or somebody who says, Chris, you're not looking great today. Go, go off this afternoon, do something else. We've got this for you. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important. Well, look, we're, we're coming towards the end and, and I, I scribbled a few things down I, what's been nice is, you know, we've, we've talked about this, but I wanted to scribble a few things down that struck me as things to leave people with to think about yep. doing. And I, I think most of these probably focus on the leadership resilience or the self. So maybe, maybe you can sort of follow up with some of the organizational, but experience really matters. I know yep. you, you, you can't go out tomorrow and make experience, but it does matter. Panic is really bad in these situations. Practice controlling your emotions. Trust your team. Encourage others. There was one other point that someone made to me a while ago, which is about gratitude. And I, I try really hard. I hope yeah. I did this okay, which is showing genuine gratitude to the team. It's all gone horribly wrong. They dug in for you. Yeah. Go find them. Put your hand on the shoulder and say, thank you. I saw what you did. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, and that, that goes in, in line with what we've said before about, you know, you can punish negligence, but you should never punish mistakes or bad results because if people are trying hard and things are going wrong, it might be that it's out of their control. It might be a new situation. It might be outside of their experience. It's a learning opportunity. But if you, if even if they perceive that they might be in trouble, yeah, they'll either hide it from you or they'll just be really stressed about it. And when they do a good job, thank them for yeah. it. And it's, and it's not just congratulate them for them, but thank them. I found that to yes. be a really powerful yes. thing, 
which is literally how often do people come up to you and say thank you yeah well i don't have to thank you i pay you no no no, no. this is different this is i want to thank you because i know you personally yeah. engaged in a way you didn't before um you've talked about this, articulate an engaging vision yeah you know if if we're in if we're in that situation where we need resilience it's important to know why should we be resilient because yeah. i could bail i could go yeah. play golf this afternoon yeah and there's plenty of stories of companies where you know they're facing financial difficulty and the employees have offered up to work for Completely. free or to work on reduced rates that won't happen if they don't believe in the company if they don't believe in the leaders of that company and and there's a there's a self version which is know your purpose as well yeah. why are you doing it you know again in the same way the team can wrap and say we're going now what's yours we we didn't talk about this much but build a support network we've done this actually in previous podcasts which is who is going to help when things are going wrong yeah. who's going to watch out for you whether it's you watching out for your team members your team members watching out for you or those other teams um I scribbled that embrace a curious mindset to avoid the problems in the first place. Let's let's see if we can figure out what are the problems that could come. You gave a really good example with COVID. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, as I've said, it's really important to be able to move people on to focus on the solutions. Communication really matters in times of uncertainty. There's nothing yeah. like misunderstanding to screw up your plan. But of course, you've got to build those relationships before, before. the emergency. We talked about that. You before. must have listened to an earlier podcast. <laughs> Actually, we recorded an earlier podcast. Um, encourage innovation and adapt adaptability in the face of challenges. This is, yeah. again, you know, you want people to say, this is a crazy idea, boss, but I was thinking about this. Could we solve the problem this way? Get enough sleep. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Maybe that's just me. I like sleeping look after one another and and make sure the team is healthy and happy this is this is why and it's funny i've, I've heard lots of people talk about this someone on my team right now has a meeting where they bring their team together and it's a meeting where there's no work to be discussed it's what are you doing this weekend how yeah. are you doing that's about that's a person investing in the bank of making sure i know how my team are and building that team yeah together. yeah we've talked about that before again this is intangible value that you can't measure but is absolutely crucial to organizations working so i really like that list and i, I don't have a lot to add from an organizational perspective other than to re-emphasize the the fact that there isn't one leader who needs to do all this and make sure people are doing it your point about having a network, working as a team and looking after each other, you know, this is about if you're at the top of the tree, making sure the people below you are also leading, are also taking care of their people, because the bigger the organisation, the less time or opportunity you're going to have to notice this. And also, this is everybody's responsibility. So I think, yeah, I would, I would emphasise that this is a command and leadership challenge and it's a command and leadership challenge that once again has to start now not how do i how do yeah. i look after people during the crisis yeah and, and i absolutely emphasize your point about encouraging innovation and adaptability and creativity which we've talked about before i would say formalize that as best you can take the time take the capacity to red team to war game to measure and understand your operating environment to 
create really good feedback loop so you can sense change as it's happening rather than when the chaos and the crisis hits. So if you're going into it with your eyes open, having thought about there is a possibility of this crisis, you're going to be far, far better prepared than if the first thing you know about it is that phone call at two in the morning to say, boss, there is a crisis. I think that's probably a, a really good time to, to bring this to a close. Thank you, Chris. I think that was a really useful conversation. Those two elements that we talked about, both individual resilience yeah. and collective team and organisation resilience, I think hopefully we've got the point across that they are symbiotic and one won't work without the other. Um, so let's call it for today. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. So thanks for me, Chris Kitchener. Wonderful. Thanks from me, Gareth Tennant. Cheerio.